Shall we read a poem from A Light in the Attic? Hello, all, and welcome to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. Hi, and I'm Fry. That's right, Lauren. Uh, do people still say spoons? Yeah, I still say spoons. I think spoons yeah. is acceptable. Yeah, Lauren didn't have the spoons for this episode, and so I have invited my other co-host over on uh, Hey James, Watch This, my other podcast, to help us out here. Happy to be here. Yay, thank you, Fry. And Fry's familiar with the format, whatever format there may be on this show, in that we read poems and then talk about them. So, Fry, when was your last experience with poetry? So, you know, that's actually an interesting question. I have a friend who last year published a book of steampunk poetry. Ooh. And uh, I bought that as soon as it came out because, you know, if nothing else, I want to support my friend. And it's it's some pretty cool stuff. I really enjoyed it. I've also I've got a, another friend who's, who's uh, I think you, you knew her as well when you lived around here. Who yes, I know who you're talking about. I follow her on Facebook and she posts some of her poems and others that she finds inspiring. And uh, honestly, if you don't have a poet on your Facebook feed, get one. It is... Way better to have like some nice poetry interrupting the the various bullshit that's usually on Facebook. <laughs> I love that we are both barely qualified to be even recording this podcast. I I am aware that I am wildly wildly underqualified to even say the word poetry, but I, I'm happy to give it my best anyway. Well, Fry, you're our guest around here, so why don't you get us started? Well, I was I was. Looking through uh, Shel Silverstein's work, I, I wasn't very—I I gotta admit—I wasn't very familiar with with his work before. <gasps> Not even from elementary school. No, I, I don't really remember any of them from elementary school. My dearie gracious! And I found one that, that did really resonate with me. And <laughs> this is "Messy Room" by Shel Silverstein. Whosoever room this is should be ashamed. His underwear is hanging on the lamp. His raincoat is there in the overstuffed chair, and the chair is becoming quite mucky and damp. His workbook is wedged in the window. His sweater's been thrown on the floor. His scarf and one ski are beneath the TV, and his pants have been carelessly hung on the door. His books are all jammed in the closet. His vest has been left in the hall. A lizard named Ed is asleep in his bed, and his smelly old sock has been stuck to the wall. Whosoever room this is should be ashamed. Donald or Robert or Willie or... Huh? You say it's mine? Oh dear. I knew it looked familiar. And that one immediately stuck out with me. Because if there was one thing that as a child I got in trouble for, it was having a messy room. Just all of the time. I've never been a a tidy person by... You know, I... I, (laughs) I don't think I'm too bad, but I tidiness is not one of my virtues. I'm sure I make up for it in other ways. It should be noted, I cannot see below Fry's chest line, and so I have no idea how cluttered the room he's sitting in actually is. Well, I mean, you can see behind me there's a shelf with various things that don't really belong on a shelf. Like there's an Ethernet cable just kind of hanging about <laughs> up above my head. There's a dry erase board sitting leaned up against that shelf behind me is that the millennium falcon on top that is the lego millennium falcon on top 
There are two wall sconce shelves that um, have nothing on them but a bottle of whiskey between the two of them. Yes. And uh, there's actually two Millennium Falcons in the shot here because there's a speaker Millennium Falcon <laughs> right there as well. Uh, both of these were Christmas presents from different Christmases. Uh, <laughs> but but honestly, like, as as an adult, I, you know, at least keep it to where you can, like, walk through the room. As, <laughs> as, as a kid and teenager, I, like, even that was a hard ask. I, I, my... <laughs> My room was kind of just an assortment of all of my things, and <laughs> I knew where they all were because they were all out where I could see them. And then something random, like once a month, my my mom would decide she'd had enough of it. I didn't understand why she didn't live in that room. And she would pick up all my stuff, and then I would spend the next month finding everything again. <laughs> Only to put it back where it made sense. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, what about you, Russ? Are, are you? Do you keep your bedroom tidy? It's been quite a while since I've seen inside your bedroom. All right, so we're we're, we're going to talk just how repugnant we were as children in a moment. <laughs> because, like you, when I was a child, I was disgusting. Um, my room was uh, untidy, is to say the least of it. Um, <laughs> it it bordering on hoarder territory. In fact. Oh my! And I'm going to send this into the void where people can hear it. This is this is. I'm not going to call it a secret shame because I'm not ashamed of it. It's just something that happened. But it's like I feel like people would think differently of me knowing this. I would get in trouble because I did this repeatedly. I would leave glasses of milk in my room (laughs) and then forget about them. That I can see how that situation could uh, devolve quickly. And so, like, they would be found curdled where I had oh. left them. They, they wouldn't spill yeah. anything. Maybe I overcorrected because as an adult, I am fastidious. I, yeah. I cannot bear for anything to be out of place. There is, I'm, I'm looking at the floor, but there is nothing anywhere. Everything has a place. Everything has a shelf. And if something is moved, I get very anxious about it. Interesting. I was kind of, I was really curious about this topic since I knew I was going to talk about it on a podcast and I wasn't really qualified to do so. <laughs> and so I I did just the briefest of research. And it's interesting that they seem to have done some studies and I am not an expert enough to go into these studies and, and judge them beyond what they say. But they seem to have found that messy rooms make people more interested in trying new things. Like there's a, a hmm. connection between messiness and novelty seeking. Interesting. Uh, but they also found that there was a negative correlation between messiness and charitableness. The tiny <laughs> people tended to be the most charitable. They also I'm feeling found a lot that, of causation versus correlation here. I suspect there is. Uh, they also found that, well, and, and also the way this study was set up is actually interesting because they weren't like, going to people and being like, is your room messy or dirty? And now answer this question. They would put them in either a messy or a clean space for a time and then have them, you know, take whatever test they were, they were testing them with. And I don't know if that's as valid because that's a little bit different from how you choose. You know, it's being in that surrounding is different from choosing to live that way. So again, not, not here to, to comment on the structure of uh, psychological studies. Uh, they also found that people who had been in the organized room tended to make healthier choices. And 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think this, this, this sample size here seems to agree with that as well. Sometimes a messy room can be a warning sign. I found that kind of interesting too. Like for me, it's just always been my preferred way of having my room. Like I don't place a high value on having everything where it needs to be. But I mean, like, look, they, they say that it can be a sign of depression. I do suffer from depression. So again, there may be some connection there. But they also, that was more of a, someone who's usually clean and suddenly mm. finds themselves uh, messy, maybe suffering from some kind of depressive episode. Mm. And that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so I don't know how the segues work in this. Do, well, well, do I just say, well, what do you well, have usually for it's just, Usually the, the segues are car wrecks, but I had one more uh, question for you. So oh, okay. uh, w- what is your most repugnant accomplishment in, in keeping a messy room? I, I didn't do it with milk, but I would do it with coffee. And you can get some interesting mold colonies growing on tops of cup, cups of coffee. Um, Did you drink coffee so that, as a kid? No, this was more in college. This was more in college, my, okay. My habits continued, but other than the fact that I had to move every semester, like <laughs> moving was the reason the room ever got clean. It's like, oh, <laughs> took finals. Guess I better clean my room one time. Uh, Chase the And that often out. included... Finding some old uh, coffee cups and being like, huh, I wonder what I was studying when I brought this in and throwing it out. (laughs) Well, I will be covering Rhino Pin. (laughs) Tell me then, of all you've seen, what could be more preposterous than forgetting your pin and writing a theme with the horn of a patient rhinoceros? And the illustration might be required. It is an old, <laughs> old school house where they were using dip pins. And one child, for whatever reason, has a rhinoceros, entire rhinoceros, not a horn, just a, a full on rhinoceros. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that they have dipped the horn in and are riding with it. That I love that illustration. I've finally gotten there. <laughs> I I love the illustration for rhino pin. And and I always I like these poems where they they do interesting things with the shape of the text as well. I always think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and and my, when I read things like this, I try to read to the shape, and so my last sentence got stretched way way out because the typography. It's every one word appears per one line. Yeah. So so what made you choose this poem? So what made me choose Rhino Pin? Well, at some point, uh, you start to run low on poems that have personal meaning. And so you create mm-hmm. personal meaning and just try to sure. <laughs> invent conversation. Because I have I have no attachment to rhinoceroses. I do have uh, connections to pins, however, in that I used to be a school teacher and am also a collector of fountain pins. So uh, I, I have a couple I of directions. I almost asked if you had any made of rhinoceros, but I feel like <laughs> you didn't should have been to that. Amazingly illegal. But I suppose I could have inherited some. I'm, I'm playing with one right now. I have my Lamy Safari right here, which if any of you oh, want nice. to, get, to get into fountain pens, the Lamy Safari is the perfect starter fountain pen. It costs about $40 US, and you will pay so many hundreds of dollars more before you get an equivalent quality fountain pen, the Lamy Safari. It is a gorgeous fountain wow. pen. Yeah, it looks Writes really nice. Writes like $300, costs $40. Do you, have, um, do you have neat handwriting? Do you have nice handwriting? I can. 
Uh, if I yeah. if I sit down to uh, if I sit down to write a letter, uh, you'll find like I send you all postcards from time to time. Did you, did you yeah. get the one from Rome? I did. Yeah. Like uh, that's about a half effort. Okay. Your your half effort handwriting is much better than any handwriting I can produce. <laughs> uh, and that's one of the other reasons I've I've never looked into like different types of pens. Like I think the fountain pens look great. I love the aesthetic. But my handwriting looks like like someone had to teach an old Etruscan farmer English. <laughs> it's like, all right, so it's sharp shape, sharp, you know, just just all just jagged lines barely fitting together. And so I, I investing in better tools for something that I can't even accomplish properly with <laughs> the most basic of tools, uh, especially when I live almost my entire life in front of a keyboard. Uh, I never really put much effort into that skill because I was bad at it. <laughs> it is. It, it, it's not rewarding. I mean, I don't think anyone has ever been remembered for their handwriting. Well, John Hancock, but no one else. That was his signature. Your signature is your handwriting. Well, I mean, barely. My, <laughs> uh, my signature, you could make out an R and, a, well, I, I think I've already doxed myself. My last name starts with a T. But, like, that's basically all you can make out. That's not my handwriting. It's like R line, um, T line. My signature has gotten more ridiculous the older I get. <laughs> it has. Uh, and so I've got like, I, I spend, you know, a, a little bit of time on the first letter, the H. It's a good H. And uh, <laughs> and then there's just some wavy lines representing all the other wor- letters in my name. And then, the you know, I've, I'm one of those lucky people who have some Roman numerals at the end of their name. <laughs> and I kind of wind up drawing a tic-tac-toe board at the end of my signature. And then <laughs> and then with a flourish, essentially crossing the whole thing out. So what you need, so you, you're the perfect kind of audience for a fountain pen because they make those kind of signatures look really good. Oh, yeah. Maybe I, maybe I should invest in drawing. It's like if you have a little ballpoint or something, that's, that's just going to look like a bunch of lines. But if you have a fountain pen, then it's calligraphy. Ah, yes, that's true. And what's, it's it's artwork. Shell really dates himself with this poem. Like, you know, he was in school probably in the fifties and sixties because I would learn that dipping pens, dip pens, stayed in use in United States schools up until the fifties and sixties because fountain pens were too expensive. Really? Isn't that great? Wow. Like, you're in school the in 1960 and you're dipping your ink like a Dickensian orphan. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we're working on getting people up to the moon. The moon! And you're dipping a fountain pen in a little pool of ink. Well, the thing is, you don't dip fountain pens. You fill fountain pens. Right, that makes more sense. The difference between a dip pen and and, and, here, and here come the pedantics. I love it when the podcast gets to this point. A fountain pen <laughs> contains a reservoir of ink that is filled, and then it writes with a with a, a, a nib like, like you would see on a dip mm-hmm. pen. But a dip pen, you dip the pen into the reservoir every time. Right, right. And Gosh, the, the uh... rollerball and the ballpoint pen made short work of both of those industries. Yeah, I mean those are so ubiquitous, like. You don't stop to pick one up if you see one on the ground somewhere. It's like, oh, I'll just come across a number, another three wherever I'm going. It's like, I don't think I've ever uh, paid for a ballpoint pen. The, the only times I, I've paid for ballpoint pens multiple times. And this goes into my procrastination a little bit uh, <laughs> because I am pretty bad about picking out like birthday cards and stuff like that. <laughs> like I'll have the gift ready 
And then I'll be like, oh, I'm supposed to get a card. And then like, so I'll go to the store and I'll get like a last minute card. And because I'm going from there to the place where I'm going to give the card to somebody else, I have to have a pin. <laughs> but, I don't always, but I don't always keep a pin in my car, nor do I always know where the pin in my car is. Uh, because like my room, it's also a little bit messy. And so I'll, I'll buy another pin. <laughs> And then it's like at some point I'll wind up with like a, a just a dozen like a dozen like random different pins strewn about my my car. This most recent one I I did I did this. The night it should Christmas, be noted that Fry drives sure. a very small car. I do. I I drive uh, I drive basically a matchbox. <laughs> and the the I think it was the day before Christmas. I went to Hallmark <laughs> to get a card. And the only pin they had for sale was this like ridiculous, like foot long <laughs> multi ink pin where it had like a whole bunch of different things you could push down to have the different color. And I was like, I, I need this to write one sentence and my name, but this is the only pin they have and not having the pin will not work. So yes, I will take this overpriced over functionality pin. <laughs> Uh, and now it's just sitting in my car, uh, waiting to get uh, forgotten about again. Here's my magical multi-click pen. You're only allowed to use the green one. You remember those pencils from elementary school where it was a line? It was it was one containing body, and then you had a whole lot of lead containing, like little plastic button sheaths. And to advance the pin, you had to pull out the one that you had spent and shove it in the asshole of the pin, and it oh, would eject yeah, the yeah. next one. And there was like ten of them in there. Yeah, but if so you, you ever, just had to keep going through to find a specific color. But if you but if you ever lost one, the entire thing was <laughs> fucked. <laughs> yeah, that was a design nightmare. So <laughs> much engineering effort has been put into building a better pin, and so much of it wasted. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure in the high end space there must be some unique things going on, but you have like the big ballpoint pin, and that covers. That really covers almost every use case for a pin. And then you just, you know, have a few people who want to be fancy and so you have a few extra pins. You don't really need any more than just the basic big pin. And yet people keep trying. And, and uh, I, I, I'm i glad about that, even though it leaves me with an unwieldy multi-tip pin. Look no further than the fountain pen industry if you want to see how ridiculous it can get. Not even talking about the weird designer ones, just the ones that anyone can buy. Visconti makes a fountain pen called the Homo Sapien. And its claim to fame is that it is made from fresh lava from Mount Etna. <laughs> what? They specify the volcano that the lava came from. I mean, I guess if you want to make sure you're getting ethically sourced lava. I really want one. I mean, I bet it's cool. I mean, I don't own anything <laughs> made out of, no, no. Made out of lava from it, a volcano, I know. It's not cool. They claim that it has retained the heat of the earth, and so it's always warm to the touch. Have, so I want to write copy have had for no this experience. so bad. No one has any experience with lava rocks and the fact that they do not, in fact, stay hot forever, I guess. God. You can sell anything. That's that is true, and I mean, I'm I'm a little bit interested. I certainly want to look up this pin. Well, here I'll do. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to buy one. Uh, how how many thousands of dollars is this pin? Only about eight hundred U.S. dollars. Oh, a downright a downright uh, steal. 
And here's the best part about this. To look at it on site, it just looks like a pen. Like, you can tell it's a nice pen, but it doesn't look ridiculous. Yeah, I would have no way of knowing this was made of lava if someone didn't tell me, which I assume someone who owns this will tell me that. Because Oh, I think else? they'll be... Ch- I-, I think right after they tell you they're vegan. Right, right. The, can you imagine the kind of person that would tell you that? My pen is made from lava, you know. I, I mean... That I conjures like a very strong specific overlap image. with the people who would buy this pen. Oh, my God. You're telling me if you had this pen, you wouldn't somehow work that into conversation? God, and but you and you, you would be insufferable for it. Like, yeah, it, no, absolutely. It would have to come with that awareness, and, but it wouldn't. It would never come with it because I'm never going to buy that pen because it's eight hundred fucking dollars. Oh, it's real pretty though. Look at that engraving on the tip. Oh yeah, what's it say? In vino veritas or some bullshit? I think it's just the the Visconti, the name of the pen. Oh yeah, I I, I think it's oh. very nice looking. It also I can't it, imagine. It also tells you it's made in Florence. Oh, good to know. <laughs> I, I, there's two things I really want to know about anything I own, which is what volcano did its uh, component atoms come out of and where was it assembled? <sighs> Jesus Christ. Which is probably the new pin from Mont Blanc. <laughs> this pin is Jesus the, Christ. The Mont Blanc Jesus Christ. It contains a fragment of the true cross. Every Mont Blanc <laughs> Jesus Christ comes with a fragment of the true cross. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little little bit of wood in there just just you know and it's clear, like an acrylic thing so you can see it you you, you know you, yeah of you course you gotta be able it. to see it 